Do you feel as if reality has been altered? That something or someone has interfered with our collective present moment? Then this is the podcast for you. This is the sound of duality. This has the sound of a DMT molecule as it travels through your body, opening you to the knowledge that you seek. It's also the sound of sheep and bliss, wandering this universe and the concept of Sonder as you play a lead role created by these two states of being. Pull up a pew and take a seat. This is a podcast of all you touch and all you see. The guests are everything in between. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the duality of each state of being and the very thin line between each. All right, welcome to Pull Up a Pew. Um, your host, Drew. Zach, say hello. How are you guys doing? You know, and I forgot, guys, uh, on the last episode to mention how great of a job, you know, that Zach did coming in for his uh, his first uh, episode, first interview. Mm-hmm. He had great questions. He just did a really, really good job. I just really wasn't feeling well that day. Um, yeah, I was, was really under the weather. Um, so yeah, I apologize Zach, for that. So you're all good getting it now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, today we have, uh, Peter Russell on, who is a very, very big influence, uh, to me and, and my life when I read, uh, his book, the white hole in time, um, and also the global uh, brain, uh, which is uh, written in the 1980s, uh, but it really had a, a huge not impact just on me, but but really on on anybody and everyone who had read it. Uh, I'll let Peter explain a little bit more of, of of why, but let's just say he pretty much predicted the internet at that time, uh, you know, which is incredible, and, and just everything else in in that book. Uh, which led up to the white hole in time and uh, specific. Uh, you know, I don't want to give it away because I want him to talk about it, but just having to do with cycles, um, you know, you can kind of get a little of that from from the name of the the book and and just how technology really spirals uh, down tighter and tighter. Information is how I like to think about it, and uh, you know, as we get closer to that point in time, you know, what's going to happen? Um, you know, there's been a few other people that have played around with, with the idea and just were off the mark by a bit. But I think it would be a, a very difficult thing to, to pinpoint exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, Peter studied theoretical physics, uh, of course, uh, you know, to, to do these uh, books. Uh, also experimental psychology and computer science at the University of Cambridge and meditation and Eastern philosophy in India. Uh, in the 1980s, he pioneered the introduction of personal growth programs for corporations as well, which, which I also find interesting. I'd like to, to hear what you, what you did with that as well, Peter. Um, so 
why don't we get started with that uh if, if you don't mind so we have like a like a timeline here of order of uh the uh, global brain and also the the white hole in time uh forming um how you came about writing uh the global brain because i know that uh, obviously came first why don't we start there Okay, well, and first of all, lovely to be with you. Really looking forward to this conversation. We as well. Yes. Actually, I mean, it, in some ways, the seeds of the white hole in time came even earlier than the global brain, but I'll go into that. Um, the global brain it came out of several things. One, you mentioned my computer science. I did a postgraduate degree in computer science, and part of my thesis was linking two computers together. We had a huge, um, what was called Atlas, which was the biggest, second biggest uh, computer in England upstairs. We had this very new PDP-7, which had a cathode RAID screen. We actually had a visual screen on it, circular screen downstairs. And I was actually doing something which is now called virtual reality, trying to create three-dimensional images on the screen. But to do that, I had to process the data from the big computer and bring it down through this cable, which was like the thickness of my arm, through the floor. And so a lot of what I was doing was working in two different languages to get the computers to talk. And so this was very, very early networking. And I realized this was the future of computers, was not bigger and bigger computers, and that certainly is the future, but also it was the networking computers. And and also having done psychology, I knew a bit about the brain and how the brain develops in the fetus and things. And it struck me the way the brain develops in the fetus is very similar to the way linking of computers would be developing across the planet. And so that sort of came, that was part of the seed of the idea. But Another major thing was Jim Lovelock, who actually sadly died just last week. Um, brilliant scientist, British scientist, who came up with the idea of the Gaia hypothesis. Uh, Gaia after the Greek Earth Mother Goddess. He introduced the idea, which is most people know about it these days, the idea that the whole of the Earth, all the, all the living systems and the biosphere, the oceans, atmosphere and soil, function together as one single living system. And what I started wondering is, well, what's humanity doing here? You know, you can say the rainforest is a bit like the circulatory system or other things are like the liver or whatever. Well, what's humanity doing here? And it struck me what we're good at is information processing. And so that, again, fed into the idea that what we are doing is we are the information processors beginning to link together. So those, those were the sort of seed ideas coming together. And as you also mentioned in the introduction, I, I've been – studying meditation i'd come back from india and that was also formative because i could see that the biggest shift we needed was not so much you know changing how we deal with the world which we certainly do but a fundamental shift in consciousness and so i saw the global brain as actually being a vehicle to shift human consciousness as well so those those were the seed ideas and basically saying um, you know, computer networking, the word internet didn't actually exist then. It did. It came in shortly afterwards. Um, we were talking about networks and ARPANETs, but seeing that that would grow into this worldwide computing system. But all of us, all of us back then were so far off the mark. And we were thinking in terms of data. A few of us were thinking about maybe you could transfer pictures through this network. None of us were looking at streaming, social media, you know, 
online shopping, all the other stuff that now goes on. You know, it's now just so much part of our life being hardly do anything without being on the internet. None of us could see where it was going in terms of details, but we were looking at, I was, you know, where is it going to to the general shift? And what I saw was it was just going to be bringing people together, connecting people across the planet. And, and social media is really sort of the latest, the latest iteration of that, where it's going. And who knows where it's going to be in another five years? We've no idea. And, and that's because um, things are moving faster and faster and faster. And that was the key idea in, in the global brain as well. It was like how things are moving faster and faster. But also right. that was the key idea behind the white hole in time. And the idea that things are going faster and faster exponentially came when I was just at school. I was studying math and I got introduced to exponential growth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this is fascinating because exponential growth, the rate, the rate of growth is also exponential. It's fascinating. And you, the right. human mind has no, it can't grasp exponential growth or where it's going. Um, you know, if you, you you invest one dollar at ten percent at compound interest. You know, after ten years, it's worth one point two one dollars. In fifty years, it's worth one hundred and seventeen dollars, and after a hundred years, it's worth thousands of dollars. The human mind can't can't get its head around it. But I could see this was this was what was happening since the beginning of life. Really, that each new development promotes future development, and that's that's where exponential growth occurs. Is whenever Whenever what you have makes it more likely what you're going to have, it furthers it. So population, you know, the more the more people there are, the more children are going to be born, the more people there will be in the next generation. And so it just grows exponentially. And, you know, to begin with, that exponential growth was taking billions of years with cellular evolution. And then it got faster with multicellular evolution and then got faster and faster when you came up to human beings. You know, we've just been around for like 1% of 1% of Earth's history. Right. Or 1% of that. And then, you know, what we call civilization is 1% of that, and our lifetimes are just 1% of 1% of 1% of 1%. It is like a blink in the eye of God. And, and even with our own lifetimes, you know, it's going so much faster now than it was 20 years ago, yep. 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. So... This. I have a question for you, Peter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when you talk about evolution, this, this brought up a thought um, for me. So there's what's called punctuated evolution or yes. a, a theory of how things happen. So do you think that's what's needed for that growth? So, you know, when, when these punctuated events occur, maybe not as, as, as big as an event, you know, that took out the dinosaurs or an asteroid or something, but there's events that occur that pushes back a couple steps, but then it throws us, it slings us forward much faster. Right. Yes. It seems to be, it seems to be with what are called evolutionary niches, which means it's like there's a niche in terms of the ecosystem, the biosphere where certain areas or something or in certain species, um, doors open up that make more evolution possible. And when those doors open up, you get a much more rapid period of evolution. That's what we mean by punctuated right. evolution. And then it will settle down for millions of years. It'll still be evolving, but not so fast. So the point there is it isn't an absolutely smooth curve, but it is, it's an you know, exponential light curve, like an exponential curve, but wiggly. 
it's wiggly, but the overall mm. trend is the same. It's some, you know, leaps ahead a bit here and there. But, you know, a, a leap ahead, a punctuated evolution in terms of the evolution of algae would have taken, you know, I don't know how many millions of years, you know, punctuated evolution in terms of looking at our own society, things like that is happening so much faster. So the, the punctuations get faster too. Right. Another quick question um, before we go past this, but yeah, when, when uh, we're talking about the, the internet and um, you know, everything just, just that we couldn't have ever um, seen, you know, what was going to, what was going to come. But do do you see any harm in, in the social media part? Because yes, we are definitely spreading information out faster than we could even imagine to all parts of the globe, you know, billions of people, you know, being able to have discussions, but that these big social media networks, you know, have really kind of funneled people in, into this distraction, um, part of it that mm-hmm. it's, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Just, just a, a major distraction that people aren't using it to learn. They're not using it to further themselves or using it to post their pictures from their vacation basically yeah right yeah you see much of that happening or yes of course i think any technology is a two-edged sword i mean it takes off because it has very practical advantages that's why technology takes off it's useful Mm -hmm. but any technology has has another side to it i think you know social media in general it took off because you know people could interact with each other live it wasn't just like sending emails back and forwards you know they could be live interacting with each other in different ways and that is wonderful people get instant feedback from across the planet videos streaming to each other all of that i think is wonderful but the the downside of it i think that there's several things there's one what you mentioned the way the companies who run the various social media you know, most of them, their income is through advertising, which means, you know, they're all concerned about eyeballs and keeping people there, keeping people watching, right. which which slants the whole thing. So that whole side, which to me is so touched on by, you know, I think we all are aware of that. And then there's also the other side of it, you know, people on social media, they, they easily get into slanging matches and put each other people down and angry <laughs> stuff. You get, you get all of that going on. It's true. And then, you know, we have this thing that these days we're all in our own social bubble. You know, who knows what the truth is? We all live in our own reality bubble, really. And those different reality bubbles, you know, so, you know, if I go on, you know, social media, I'm in my bubble. I'm listening to people or picking up things that sort of reinforce where I see the world. I don't spend right. a lot. I should be spending a lot of time, you know, listening to completely different opinions, but I just regard those as conspiracy theories and don't listen to them. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we are all, you know, we each in a social bubble. So it's actually not connecting us in that way. It's dividing us. It's like reinforcing those divisions. Yeah, so negative. I think the, and you know the other the other obvious one is it gets so seductive that how much time do we spend just you know checking uh, things, <laughs> you know checking through Twitter or whatever post or here, hundreds here's nice, of times a day people too do. much here's a nice Instagram I'm a share with all my friends and yeah yeah so it's it's a plus plus and minus every technology has that and I thought it was interesting like you said uh you mentioned I heard in there you know there's a lot of misinformation going out too because yes. people want to you know send out a, a, a totally 
different persona of, of re, uh, rather than reality. Yeah. And of course, we all want to be better. We want to look better. We want this, and <laughs> or at least most people do. But uh, it's just, yeah, become a, a, a monster, I think. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you can't, you don't know what you can trust or, or, or not right. trust. Right. We're living so in this sort days. of this post-truth era. You know, even what we call misinformation, someone else believes it's the truth. Right. Well, tell me um, a little bit, because, I, I, again, The White Hole in Time was, uh, you know, the book that really opened up so much for me. Mm-hmm. And I know in, in the later chapters, uh, yeah, you, you were discussing, you know, these cycles uh, of, of evolution and how everything yeah. is spiraling down uh, this this information yeah. hole and uh, yeah. what, what you see uh, possibly happening. Uh, yeah. Also, there's a. I just want to say one last thing that was interesting. There's a, um, a chapter, I believe, or a section called "Awakening," and it's got dash self dehypnosis. Mm-hmm. That um, yeah, I just I just found that to be really really interesting um, because we are hypnotized by by everything you know yeah. out there. That I think yeah. we all need to you know yeah. Be, hypnotize yourself yeah. well let's deal with let's, let's two, yeah. two, two things there. let's take um, the white hole in time but first of all I should say a couple of things about the title first of all that book isn't available under that title now it is available slightly modified version under the title waking up in time it got huh. renamed by the publishers waking up in time the initial publication was the white hole in time um, and the title is, is obviously the opposite to a black hole in space mm-hmm. and the point here being the way a black hole forms, there's actually an accelerating process. You know, for millions, billions of years, a star like our own sun is burning hydrogen. And that goes on for billions of years. And then, then it begins to run out of hydrogen and it's produced helium. And then it starts burning helium. But that's a much faster process. And then the right. helium turns into another chemical. And the processes get faster and faster and faster yeah. until suddenly the whole thing just accelerates so much and then you get what's called a supernova with a, something bigger than our own sun. You get a supernova where in just you know days the whole thing comes to an end and the star collapses in upon right. itself, leaving behind mm-hmm. this very, very dense singularity called a black hole. And I saw the same was happening in evolution. It goes through this very long process of billions, millions of years, and it speeds up into hundreds of thousands of years and into centuries. You know, now we're seeing change happening. You know, what, what is going to be the latest model of whatever it is that's coming out next month? I mean, change is happening faster and faster. And it will keep on happening faster and faster. This was part of the thesis of the book because it's this positive feedback. I mean, all the new technologies we have, they're all making things go faster. We want things to go faster. It's called efficiency. I mean, and so this acceleration is going to continue. And just as it, it ends up with a black hole, it sort of collapses into this supernova. I was saying what this means for the future is 
things are going to continue accelerating, accelerating till we get to a sort of singularity in time, whereas a black hole is a singularity in space. We come to a singularity in time. What that looks like, I have no idea. But what it does mean is there's no what I call future as normal. The future as normal is we continue making steady progress. We continue making progress for hundreds, thousands, perhaps millions of years. No, no, no. This is accelerating so fast. Something major is going to happen in this century. You did bring up uh, in the book, and I know it's similar to, I think, if I'm right, I think it's Zeno's paradox of the the arrow. If it goes half, you know, the distance, well, then half of that and, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, But I don't think he used that. It was uh, something else. Um, But anyways, that that it is finite. Yeah. That it just keeps spiraling down and down and down. but, But mathematically... It comes to a that, finite end, yes. Right? Yes, it comes. So there's a point in time where it just gets, yeah, who knows what happens. I don't think we actually reach that point in time because the stress on the system becomes unsustainable. We can only, only tolerate so much acceleration. But it, but the point is we are heading into something coming faster and faster and faster. And, and it's happening on, I see it happening on three levels, the acceleration. First of all, there's the whole scientific technological thing and that's what people usually look at when they look at the acceleration oh how many new scientific advances how much how much information you've been talking about how much information is there but also the technology like you know computers power doubling every 18 months so we look at we tend to look at science technology information the acceleration that's where that's where we normally go there's two other bits though one is the result of all this is an acceleration in the um, negative consequences, the environmental impact of all this right. acceleration. You know, climate change is the result of just accelerating growth of uh, fossil fuels, and so many things we're coping with are actually the negative impact of just continual material right. acceleration. And so there's that curve going on at the same time, and there's a third curve which you mentioned in your sort of second part of this question, which is the awakening of human consciousness. That's right. also going on. That that's also accelerating, and that is hardly ever looked at. You never see any mention of that on the front page of the you know Washington Post. But right. I mean, to to give an example, of what I'm talking about. Um, this is all just going on the last 50, 60 years. When I started getting interested in spirituality and things back at university, there was one big, big. It was the second largest bookstore in England in Cambridge huge bookstore and it had in this religious section it had one shelf up in a corner on sort of alternative spirituality with the things like um oh what's it various names tom boot booten was it bert booten things like this and little people christopher yeah christopher, it was a small section <laughs> christopher, christopher isherwood yeah christopher <laughs> isherwood and those names and now you you know you go into any you know medium sized small town they've got bookstores of their own devoted to this yep. and videos and this has all come from people you know like me who got interested in it I wrote my own books people read that 
They write their own books. They make their own teachings, their own videos. They put courses online. I read those. We're all teaching each other. And so you get this, right. you get this positive feedback thing again. And so all, you know, all we talk about is sort of the spiritual renaissance that we see happening, you know, across the world, across the internet, everywhere these days is part of this acceleration, which really, the seeds of it started in the 60s, and that's also growing exponentially. So what this means is where we're heading is somewhere where we're going to have technology beyond our dreams in a world that's sort of breaking apart at the seams with a consciousness that has never been here before. And that is that is absolutely fascinating, what, how that happens. And so awakening, I called it, you know, the subtitle of that chapter was um, dehypnosis. I, you see, I think we're the opposite of waking is asleep. I think we are asleep. We're mm-hmm. we're hypnotized. We're hypnotized by our culture, really. By our culture, it tells us what's important. You know, if you want to be happy, do this, buy this, go and see this movie, <laughs> take this vacation, buy these clothes, buy this yep. car, do this, whatever it is. Bye, have bye, this, bye. Have this, sort of partner <laughs> for, have this sort of partner for a relationship, live in this area, do this. It, that's the hypnosis. And what that does, that then affects our minds. Uh, I mean, so much of our thinking is taken up with, you know, what if this were happen? How do I get this to happen? Or did I do the right thing yesterday? Or this is exciting, or that may go wrong. So we end up in this sort of maze of stories in our minds, all worrying or planning how we're going to yeah. be happier, how we're going to get through this. And that's that's how the cultural hypnosis affects us. And so waking up is really the simple thing of stepping out of that dream world. I mean, if you think of it, nearly all our thoughts are in a way daydreams. We daydream, mm-hmm. what might I say to someone tomorrow if I meet them on the street? It's like we're daydreaming it. And so the waking up is waking up. Well, it's almost the, other people's dreams too. I mean, we're yeah, spending yeah. all that time on what people are telling us to do, wasting so much time. Right, right. Living in other people's dreams, I guess right. you could yeah. say as well. Yeah, that's all part of this is hypnosis. And so the waking up is actually very simple. It's just choosing, hang on, I'm not going to follow that particular story right now. And then we just come back, oh. We wake up. Here I am. Here I am. Two things happen when I let go of some thought story I'm telling myself about something, what I need to do, or whatever it is. When I pause that just for a moment, just to pause it, there's always a sense of, oh, that's a relief. We don't realize how much energy we're putting into all this planning, worrying, whatever it is, we're putting energy into it. So when we pause it, there's always that sense of relief. And then what also happens is you notice the present. You don't have to do anything to be present. The present sort of re-emerges. You notice, oh, there's the sound of that bird outside. There's right. um, this itch in my knee I hadn't noticed. Oh, you know, it's actually quite warm in here. So the, the present is always there, but our attention gets hijacked into the past and future. Very and true. there really is only the present, right? We're, we're so living this. Yeah, right, yeah. this dream of, of the pa- of being the past or the future. Right. Like you said. So you're yeah. right. Everything is happening in the present, but our attention gets caught up in stories about the past and the future. So when we say be present, what we mean is let your attention be in the be in the present, which is what is actually happening here and now in your space, in your environment, rather than the attention being caught up in some created story 
with some created discontent in there. Yeah. I guess that's where uh, anxiety is about what could happen. Depression is what had already happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or like what that. might happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That might, but it probably usually never does the way you think it will happen. So Right. Yeah. I think it was Mark Twain said, my life has been full of disasters, <laughs> most of which never happened. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. But we do. We, you know, totally, you know, we worry so much about whether we're going to be happy in the future. We don't give ourselves the chance to actually be happy in the moment. In the moment. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a sad, sad joke. It's almost ironical that the one thing we all want is to actually to be content, to be happy, to feel okay, whatever you put it. And yet we're so busy worrying about how to do that, we don't give our chance, ourselves the chance to do it. Yeah. yeah. To enjoy the moment. You know, I, I don't believe in coincidences and, and, you know, synchronicities are all around us and, and especially with, with Zach and I and a lot of things we talk about. And, uh, you know, even, right. even Peter, when I sent you the, the, the invite, the original one, you're looking and you sent me that message and we're like, you know what? I don't know. Are you, you sure that I'd fit in, you know, with the newer stuff I'm doing? I'm like, of course it would. You have no idea how much it, it, it no idea. would. <laughs> and, uh, so I have been on on Zach uh, about learning and, and uh, understanding the uh, the universe itself and everything that had to happen. Um, you know, from from the moment uh, of the Big Bang, if that's even you know true theory, right? But all the little things that had to occur. Um, from you know the the inflation period and and you know uh positive and and negative matter you know if there if there wasn't that balance or just slightly on the side of uh you know positivity you know we wouldn't have uh anything there there'd be nothing here and life itself is as well and i forgot you you had did also have a, a big section there in the white hole uh in time about that can you tell us a, a little bit about that? Yes, yes. It's what sometimes is called the anthropic principle. Anthropos coming from the Greek um, person, man, in the neutral sense. Um, and it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. If you look at this, almost any parameter in the physical universe, like, say, the strength of the gravitational force, which we can measure very exactly, the strength of the gravitational force, if that happened to be a little bit weaker, just, you know, a percent or two weaker, then galaxies, wouldn't, stars wouldn't have formed. There wouldn't have been enough gravity to form stars and things. If it had been a little, a little bit stronger, matter would have flown apart so fast and so a bit, bit stronger, matter would have come together so fast, it would just be one huge clump. And so, you know, there's lots of things like this. Some of it is, you know, quite obscure, like, you know, um, fine details in the atom, how atoms combine, the, the strength of, you know, certain forces. All of this looks as if it's perfectly, perfectly, you know, dialed in to make life, well, first of all, dialed in so that the universe could exist. That's the first thing. There's all these coincidences without which the universe wouldn't be stable. And then there's a whole second set of coincidences um, which make life possible, like carbon. Turns out, you know, 
we all all our life is carbon based life but for carbon to work as it does there's some very fine what's we call the fine structure constants tuning there makes carbon the way it is you know so life wouldn't exist without those fine tunings and and of course, so, about the stars, you know, like you right. said, ahead with the supernovas here, you know, they're, yep. they're throwing out all of those, uh, you know, the carbon and everything that was right. needed to create so, us. Right? So that leads to, you know, how, how do you relate to that? Um, you know, a sort of religious minded person says, well, that proves there's a God because God has designed the universe perfectly so that it exists, so that life exists, so that we can be here, human beings can exist. That's one interpretation. Um the other extreme is, well, that's the only universe we could observe. We could only possibly observe one in which we existed. So it's no surprise at all. Um, and then, you know, there's another model which I sort of like is that the universe is continually evolving new universes. When this universe, you know, in zillions of years' time, this universe will come back in what's called the big crunch it will come down to this big crunch and then start another universe and that universe has learned something from this universe and the constants get slightly you know tweaked again as the next universe is even more suitable for life and so you know it starts off with starts off with universes that lasted 10 minutes and then you know things things were tweaked and the next universe lasted a whole month and then they've got universes to last thousands of years then they've got universes to last long enough that actually living systems could form so that's that's what i find a very interesting sort of model in the middle who knows who but do knows you, do you believe though that each one had to have um uh, an observer you know kind of like with the double slit experiments and all that side of it which you know they created the um the strong right anthropic principle yeah. um i no i don't um, because I don't even believe this is what happened. I'm just saying these are interesting possibilities of what might have happened, and everything everything beyond that is just pure conjecture, speculation. Yeah. I just think it's a it's a nice it's an interesting model. Besides, you know, God made it happen, or it's just a like, total fluke. Um, right. It's like maybe the universe is evolving. I just think it's a neat idea, um, but that's all it is. It's just a neat idea. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was even looking at my notes. Uh, when we were talking about the coincidence of life. There's, you know, the water, uh, all the special properties of, of water. Yes, yeah. So on and so forth. Um, but so moving forward and, and on that topic, because I know that's going to lead more in, into what you're doing now, but, uh, you know, on, on the basis of consciousness. Uh, but I have something to throw out at you, so because it kind of, segues us between the two so i've had an idea and i, I brought this up to the, the last person we interviewed but i want to ask you the same thing okay so i've had an idea um that there has always been consciousness but the, at the beginning there was you know just one consciousness uh that pervaded the the universe and then once it uh produced what we would let's say call life that it split itself into kind of like what a cell would do and that as more and more uh beings with consciousness or sentience you know were, were formed this kept uh dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing because you hear about you know much older civilizations you know were much smarter than we could ever imagine you know to be able to do the things they did you know you just look at the pyramids that are built all over the all, all over the world the mathematics that were involved you know the, the 
uh, astronomy, what they knew, you know, just from observations. And it's, it's really amazing. And then you can go back further, gets a little more, but, but, you know, some people believe, you know, in the story of Atlantis or Lemuria, but just taking them as examples, whether or not they're, they're true or not. Um, but they said these, these civilizations, people were able to, uh, you know, speak with, uh, um, what am I trying to say? Telepathy. Um, yeah, telepathy, telekinesis. You know, there was mm -hmm. a lot of things like that. A, a lot more capabilities that we had as as human beings. So, but it seems like from that point, if this is true, and again, speculation, um, we are devolving and not evolving because every time there's that split. Because I was thinking, what made me think about this to start with was about reincarnation and and trying to figure that that out, you know, with there not being enough people, you know, when they pass mm -hmm. away, where did all these souls come from? You know, yes, there's not enough boy. souls to go around. So that's what made me think of this because you can keep dividing, you know, that, that one, you know, uh, all sentient, you know, consciousness, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the beginning is, as you know, an infinite number of times, but every time you do it, it seems like, uh, uh, you know, it loses a little part of itself. And uh, we, we lose a little bit more and more uh, of, of those capabilities and how technology, well, how we were talking about earlier, distracts us and takes us away from things, you know, so that also, you know, plays a role. But yeah, I just wanted to see what you thought about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, not whether it's true or not, right. but, you know, just. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, where you were starting, I think, you know, the universe is consciousness. I think you know, that's right. the bottom line. The universe is consciousness. Um, and as it, ha as it has evolved and as the sort of the structuring has got more complex, I mean, the latest theories of consciousness are interesting. They all, they're to do with complexity, complexity of information processing. And so, you know, simple bacterium, there's some information processing goes on there. We know, we're getting to know quite a bit about it. So I think a bacterium would have, you know, a tiny, 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 tiny glimpse of consciousness. I mean, we know they can sense heat. So it might have the equivalent of like a proto-consciousness of warmth or something. But it's to say it's not completely dark in there. There's some, some little tiny, tiny glimmer of inner light, which has always been there. But as the system gets more complex, so that lights get brighter and brighter. And so, you know, as animals, you know, more complex animals, then that light, you know, grows. And with human beings, you know, we have the added thing of, you know, thinking and all of that, which other animals don't have. But I don't, I don't see it as something dividing. I see it as more something which is um, uh, drop, droplets of consciousness becoming in structures which allow them to become more and more self-aware. That's the way I would right. see it. I don't see it as a dividing so much as... Um, um, and when I look at it too, you know, I, I say that we're devolving, but, but really we've been evolving, especially from a physical standpoint, yeah. you know, our bodies and our brains, you know, brain case, everything that had to happen bring us to, you know, today yeah. and, and who we are. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we are, we are evolving. Some, some of our um, de developments may not be as useful in hindsight, but I think, you know, we, we are, we are, I mean, evolving is like, is 
is to produce is to produce something new, is to change in response to what's happening. I think that's what we're doing is continually changing, and then we you know we may change in ways which turn out to be not so good, but that happens in evolution. A, a, a simple, you know, simple life form, it may get a genetic change. So that's an evolution, but it doesn't actually benefit the organism much, so it dies out. And so that little particular mm-hmm. mutation doesn't survive. But don't so I think we're living in, in it, we're living now in the most peaceful time in history. It looks crazy. I mean, there's always wars going on. There's always yeah. a lot of uh, yeah. horrible, horrible things uh, occurring um, but that we are actually becoming more peaceable. We yes, there's a lot of evidence of that. And there was a wonderful book on that a few years ago. I've forgotten the name of it, the author. But yes, I mean, he was saying, you know, if you go back six, seven hundred years, the chances of the chances, the main cause of death, one in three deaths, would be dying at the hands of another human yeah, being yeah. through through murder war, whatever, one in three chance. I mean, now it, I don't know what it is, probably probably a bit more in some areas of some cities than others. And it was a brutal death. Yes. Know? And so, Hopefully less than that. <laughs> yeah. But now, you know, you look at those figures, you know, it's getting less and less and less. We are getting more peaceful. But then on the other hand, you know, we see what's happening around the world. Go back, you know, 200 years in your little village. You didn't know what was happening much beyond your village. You heard stories and little things here and there, and people came in and told you. But that was it. And, you know, there may be something, you know, somebody dying in your village from something or some illness or something. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of expected. Now when we hear, you know, millions of people dying of this or starvation or something, we think, oh, my God, it's awful. It's just that we're seeing, we're seeing, you know, the huge data of the planet, but we're not seeing, even so, the trend is towards, as you say, towards it becoming more peaceful. Right. Or, or, or less, not necessarily more peaceful, but a more, um, it's, it's getting better in the ways about the quality of life. I mean, who knows how it's going to go in the future with climate change and things, but at the moment, mm-hmm. that's been the general trend. Climate change may be a little blip on that, or big blip. You mentioned complexity earlier. Are you familiar with uh, Yanir Baryam? No. no. I interviewed him back um, when I had started the, the podcast. Really interesting. I think he's at the, the top of that field of complexity theory. Mm-hmm. Um, which I find really fascinating. And again, because of all the, the cycles and, and, and spirals and things of that nature uh, that have to go into that, um, uh, you know, the mathematics and, and, and everything that they study, uh, you know, from um, the standpoint of, of complexity, just cities, you know, planning cities and things of mm-hmm. that nature, you know, they've, they've, they've been getting better and better and better at it. And, more efficient, let's say, uh, you know, because of that study of how complexity mm. works, which I find, yeah, really interesting. Um, yeah. So why don't we, yeah. So thank you for, for, for going back with me in time there and, uh, you know, discussing, yeah, the white hole in time because it really did mean so, so much to me. Um, and also the global brain. Um, yeah. I wanted to say this about that too, to, because you said something really important uh, in in that book as well, um, you know, for the, for the listeners, but how information and especially the sages and, and people with wisdom and, and knowledge and, you know, the only thing that they had to pass on uh, this knowledge was by, you know, writing it on stone first mm-hmm. and then on, you know, papyrus and, and whatever. 
And then it would take hundreds of years, if not longer, you know, to get out mm. to other parts of, of the, uh, uh, the earth. But uh, of course we don't have that now. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think that was really right. interesting how you went from the global brain to the white hole in time that it all kind of, uh, yeah. 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 Now, you know, if someone has an awakening, they can be on Oprah the next day and everybody can hear about it. <laughs> right. Exactly. So why don't you sure. tell us about um, some of your uh, newer works, um, Peter? Yes, it's been um, – my latest book is on letting go. It's called Letting Go of Nothing. Um, and letting go has been something which I've been fascinated by all my life, and I see it really as almost the essence of our – uh, our awakening, our inner journey, the, sp the spiritual journey. It's there in so many traditions in one way or another, you know, whether it's talking about forgiveness, you know, renunciation, surrender, all these different things, you know, letting go of ego. It's it's there everywhere. And so that's been fascinating to me and seeing it's the, it's the holding on to things. It's holding on to our beliefs, um, our possessions or whatever it is our relationships or how we think things should be or not be all this all this holding on is part of what keeps us out of touch with you know the reality of our true nature of how things are and it keeps it basically keeps us suffering I mean, and that's what the buddha saw i mean the essence as i see the buddha's four noble truths is he saw we are all suffering, and he didn't mean he didn't mean abject, painful suffering. The word he used actually, its root meaning is discontent. So when he said we're all suffering, he said we are all we all experience discontent, not not physical suffering necessarily. So we all experience discontent, and then he realised the second noble truth was that discontent comes because we hold on, we have our attachments. He put it as clinging. We cling to cling to things. We cling to our possessions. We cling to our views. We cling to our expectations. He said that clinging, that clinging is the root of our suffering. And, you know, as I touched on earlier, I think that clinging to how things should be sets off all this discontent and thinking in our minds, which keeps us suffering. And, yeah. and then his third noble truth is basically the truth of how to cease that. And it was about letting go, letting go of clinging, letting go of attachment. And so that's been a prime interest all my life. And then, Curialism. yeah, and I've been experimenting with this in myself. And what I found is many people have said, you know, part of letting go is letting be, you know, the Beatles sung it, let it be, let it mm -hmm. be. And um, many teachings say that, but often, often they mean letting be as letting the situation be, you know, whatever that comes in the life. Acceptance, of the I guess. Acceptance of the situation. But that's not really letting go. Letting go, for me, it's a much deeper thing. It's acceptance. Well, first of all, it comes to acceptance of my experience. If I'm feeling angry at somebody, it doesn't mean to say, I accept this person being a stupid so-and-so or whatever it was. I, mm -hmm. you know, there may well be things I need to go and talk to that person about. You know, Maybe he lied to me. I don't have to say, oh, that's the way he is. I have to accept he's a liar. No, I may need to go and say to him, you know, this doesn't work in our relationship. But mm -hmm. that's one sort of acceptance. The deeper acceptance is in the present moment. Nothing is like, okay, how am I feeling? How does this anger feel? Where is it in my body? Oh, there's this sensation in my chest or shaking down here or my fist. Like what letting, 
allowing that to be. And before you can do that, and this is the bit I, I discovered, which I found really critical, is you have to let it in. Because so often when there is, you know, when there is something like anger, we don't like it. You know, we'd rather get rid of it. We tend to, if there's anything, we tend to push it away. We know it's there, but we don't want to get too bothered by it. We don't want to get too upset. So we sort of, we keep, right. I'm angry, but I'm not going to let it, you know, get to me too much. What I found, what I suggest to people is do the opposite, let it in, which means not letting in the story of what a stupid bastard he was, but <laughs> letting in, going into your body and say, let in the actual feelings that are going on there and allow yeah. them to be. But first of all, let them in. Be curious. It's not just, oh, my, notice my teeth are clenched. It's like, oh, yes, your teeth are clenched. What else is what else is going on? What else is there in the body? And like being curious as to all these different sensations which are there in the body when you're, when you're upset. It's different for different emotions. And that way you're letting it in. And you're not and you're not resisting it, and very often it's the resistance which keeps mm -hmm. things in place. When you stop yeah. resisting it, it's like this almost sort of psychological metabolism that happens. When you stop resisting, things begin to soften, things begin to dissolve. And so, you know, I I reframe letting go as letting in and letting be. Mm -hmm. First, let in the experience, and then and then allow it to be there, and things begin to just unwind of their own accord. So it's not about getting rid of something. It's about allowing it to allowing it to be there, but giving it the, there giving it the opportunity space. to work itself out. And so I guess you would say stepping into awareness, just observe what's yeah. being felt, but not necessarily acting on that. So absolutely, absolutely. And I found that too, and it's it is has helped me a lot. So I yeah. definitely agree with that. Good. I was yeah, going to say does. we've talked about that a lot. You know, yeah. everybody goes through their own trials and tribulations through life yep. and lord knows yeah. I've, I've had mine and people have turned around and said well, how did you deal with that i mean what did you i said i don't know i just i i've learned from it you know no matter yeah. what's happened how negative it is i've, I've taken something right. from that so yeah. i don't know if that's similar yeah yeah yeah, this, we, yeah the natural reactions we tend to push these things away because they're unpleasant we don't want to experience unpleasant things and yet on the other on the other hand if something is unpleasant it's a call for attention. It's unpleasant for a reason. And so yeah. we should actually say, okay, it's like it's like an alarm going off. If a fire alarm goes off, you don't put a blanket over it saying, I don't like I don't like that sound. Will somebody put a blanket over the fire Very alarm, true. please? It's the same thing. We have something going on in our emotional or even in our physical body, something that's, you know, painful, upsetting. We don't you know, we can putting the blanket over the fire alarm is going to be taking a painkiller or Xanax or something, you know, it's like, I want to forget about this. I'm going to calm down. I'm going to use medicine. No, it's like, this is a right. call. It is a call for attention. This discomfort, this pain It's basically saying, Short term hey, solution to, yeah. a, you know, it's long term issue. Attention, please. Can I have your attention? So yeah. that's what, you know, right. my process is, okay, let me give you my full attention and let's see what's going on here. I like that. Yeah, I like I mean, that too. Yeah. So that's that's a lot of what that's sort of the core of the new book. Um, but also, you know, it's it's also about you know what we call I call natural mind, our true being, our true self, that inner quality of how we are when we're not caught up in our thoughts and stories and all the stuff that goes on, it's like our true being, and so how how it feels when we're when we're free of all that stuff, our, our true nature, which is what I think 
you know, so many of the great mystics and spiritual teachers have been pointing towards, you know, it is there waiting for us to open to it. And it's all the, it's all the other stuff we get caught up to that veils it. And that to me is an important, important point. It's like so often in spiritual circles, people talk about, oh, I'm going to get enlightened. If I practice this technique, yep. I will get rid of my ego. I will get this. It's like a journey to get somewhere. And I find it's the exact opposite. It's not about getting anywhere. It's just about taking away the stuff <laughs> yeah. that hides what is already there. Already there. It's like, you know, for me, it's like I use the expression coming home. It's like, ah, yeah, yeah, this is how it is. I've, I've come home. Nice. Yeah, it's, I feel that way too in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah. So it's getting rid of, it's like removing the veils, removing the veils to our own inner being. Are you uh, are you familiar with Pink Floyd and their song "Time"? Very. Yeah. So the the Very. ending, um, which is really the ending of, of "Breathe," uh, but where he talks about coming home and sitting yeah. by the fire, you know, and yeah. that's, and yeah. that's yeah. the place he wants to be. Just reminds me of that. Yeah. Very interesting. So yeah, I've noticed that, um, which is along the exact same lines. Uh, but that you said there's no consciousness that we are conscious though. Ah, yes. Yes. Right? Let me just say what I say is not, there's no consciousness. I, it's, I say there's no such thing as consciousness. Okay. The, the thing is the important thing. No Got such it. thing as consciousness. And what I mean by this is consciousness is a noun. When you add N-E-S-S to any word, you basically take an adjective and you turn it into an abstract noun in order to talk about it. So happiness, you know, happiness as a thing doesn't exist. The experience of being happy does. That's an experience mm -hmm. we have, being happy. Mm -hmm. Happiness is just a general way of talking about it, you know, or softness. Softness doesn't exist, but something feels soft. That is a real experience. And so the point is that consciousness as a thing doesn't exist. It's, it, it's the state of being conscious or the quality of being conscious. And that is something we all know. I mean, the one thing we all know for sure is that we are aware. We all have this quality of being conscious. What we're conscious of varies for each of us widely from day to day, from one moment to another. But the one thing we all have is we are all conscious. That's the common thing. But the right. problem is, when you treat it as a noun, as science does, like, okay, what is consciousness? Where does consciousness come from? They put it, they make it a thing, and then they put try to find out how it relates to the world of things, to atoms, to neurons, mm. to brains. And it's not a thing. It's like this is this is the basis of all experience is being being conscious. So that's my point. Is you know when we we should we talk about you know, being conscious, what we are conscious of, what it means to be conscious, all of that, but not, but try to avoid the word consciousness because it actually inadvertently starts leading us down blind alleys. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and I know you, you also talk about uh, panpsychism, you know, that everything yes. has, yes. has mind. Uh, um, yes. I made a note about everything is information. Well, that comes but. back to, yeah, what we're talking about, the universe being conscious, really, and, and panpsychism. Pan well, panpsychism is, is slightly different. Panpsychism saying 
everything has an inner world, you know, so all, all other animals have an inner world of experience. You know, like I was saying, a bacterium, panpsychism would say a bacterium has its own inner experience. It may be a billionth of the intensity of ours, but there's something there. So that's basically panpsychism. What it means literally is pan means everything, all. Psyche means mind. So it means everything has mind. It's this literal translation. So that mind is everywhere. Yeah, I, I, right. I, and I appreciate, uh, you know, there was something else you mentioned, that consciousness is space-time. It's the essence of existence, that it yes. doesn't arise. It's it's always there. It's uh, Yes, absolutely. It's, al- it's always there. And then as existence gets begins to solidify, if you like, and become more um, complex in its physical form, then... Then that con- then the consciousness begins to take on its own inner form mm-hmm. as, as a sort of reflection of the complexity of the physical form. But you see, you can go a step further. And where I would go is, I said, you know, panpsychism is actually dualistic because it says there is a material world, there are bacterium, and bacterium have an inner world of consciousness. And yet, you can say, well, hang on. What is a bacterium? It's a name we give to what? It's a name we give to data that we've discovered from looking through microscopes to doing these tests. And where does that data? Well, that's data in our mind. It's like, what is it we know about a bacterium? Well, all our knowledge is in our mind. It's like everything is actually somewhere in our consciousness. What is it? What is an actual bacterium in itself? What is an atom in itself? We actually have no idea. All we have is our models. Right. Based upon our experience, all we have are our models of what is out there. And I sort of tend to come to the feeling is all there is is a field of vibrating consciousness which gives rise to, you know, certain nodes in the network. Some of those nodes we might call an electron, but it's just vibrating consciousness which you know, is ele- we don't know what an electron is. It's not a wave. It's not a particle. We don't know what I see. It's just a, a node in consciousness. And when those nodes in consciousness get together with other nodes of consciousness and begin to complexify, you know, and they begin become living cells, complexify, then all those different things start appearing to our consciousness as things. So we see, you know, I'm looking at a leaf on a tree now. I see that as a thing. All I know is this light hitting my eye, which I, my brain creates into the image of a leaf. But what is the leaf? I don't know. All yeah. I can say is probably, right. it is just yeah. information. The only thing we can say for sure is there's information that the part of the leaf, the solid part of the leaf is different piece of information than the air next to it. But all we actually, all we can actually say about the world is there is information. And so we're that's creating the experience of the material creating, reality. Exactly, exactly. And physics is moving in that direction. Information theory in physics is saying, yes, you know, it all comes down to information in the end. And we experience, we experience that information as this world I'm seeing. So this, this is how all that information appears in consciousness. Wow. This is the information my senses are taking in. Yep. And, my, and my mind is generating. This is how it appears in consciousness. Like, wow. I think it's a good time to ask you this then. What, what, what's your uh, uh, opinion on the simulation uh, hypothesis, the simulation uh, theory? Um, 
I I don't resonate with it myself. Um, yeah, it's, a it's the the too many. I mean, I know his argument. Borstrom was it Borstrom Neil Borstrom? Yeah, his argument. I've read it several times. Um, I think there's various things where I would question it. One, well, first of all, coming back to the white hole in time. You know, we are going to become. I don't think intelligent technologically impaired species last for a long time. They go on this acceleration faster and faster and faster into this white hole in time. I think that's mm-hmm. the way all technological civilizations grow. So there aren't these technological civilizations just evolving over millions and millions of years, getting more and more complex, building these incredible simulations. It doesn't happen. There isn't even the time for that. I mean, that's a nice idea in terms of a very linear model of evolution. But evolution isn't linear, it's exponential. Within an exponential model of evolution, there isn't the space or time for that even to happen. That's part of his, you know, he says any sufficiently intelligent technological species will eventually yeah. do this. There is no eventually. We're in this spiral of winding up. So that's one of my criticisms, his very basic okay. assumption. And then it, he doesn't explain how consciousness would come into a simulation. Because I ascribe to it. I mean, I, I've been studying it a lot, and I, I, I kind of like where it is because it's it's not the cartoonish model of some kid in a basement sure. somewhere with this, right. you know, creating. It's more than that. But you know, you you've definitely brought up something interesting, bringing up the white hole in, in time, and that's this yeah. spiraling of yeah, that that kind of throws a, a a little mod in there. Yeah, so I can appreciate and that. And why would we, as part of the simulation, actually have a subjective experience? Why would we actually be mm-hmm. consciousness? So anyway, th- those are, I don't, I don't get too excited about it. I know you do, but that's <laughs> <laughs> I do. You know, I do. We each, you know, we each have our own, yep. yeah, things. But but they all still come around back to the same thing, you know. It's all consciousness. <laughs> yeah, and here we are. Right. Even if even if it's a simulation, we have how do we right. improve our lives? How do we live more charitably? How do we yeah, it doesn't you know, change gain, any of that? Yeah, I know I agree with that. More understanding, yes. Is it is it actually relevant for our day to day life? I don't think so. Right. An interesting titillation. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like where you've been going, yeah, with this with this new new work. But it's always really been there um, from from the beginning. You know, it, it's just it's been there. Um, it's just come out a lot more. Uh, you know, this this spiritualism, like you said, the, yeah. this this awakening. You know, blending. I have a question. Too. Yep. I guess you know you can shoot me down if you want, but uh, I just really wanted to just kind of hear it, but see you know is there a specific event that caused you to kind of gravitate gravitate towards spirituality? No, I'm I'm often asked that question, and for many people there is. Um, for me, I think it was always always in me. Even you know, as a kid, or sort of my early teens, I was sort of interested in this stuff. You know, doing stuff like you know playing around with my conscious, making myself dizzy and things or self-hypnosis. I was always interested. The interest in the mind was always there. Mm-hmm. But because yeah. I was very good at maths and physics, I earned awards in it. I went to university and studied it. But it was always it was always there. And so it was a seed that gradually, I say it's a seed that gradually grew 
in my life along with my scientific interest. And then there came a, there came a time when it began to take over as the dominant theme. And I think that was when, towards the end of my time studying physics, theoretical physics and maths, I realized okay. however much however much science I do, I don't think science is ever going to ask right. the question of why are we conscious? Why is there why is there subject experience? Why doesn't all this neural processing, which I was beginning to understand because I was studying psychology as well, why doesn't all this neural processing sort of go on in the dark? You say, you know, by yeah. going on in the dark, why does it have this inner experience with it? And I mm-hmm. realized that no amount of science would ever answer that. Yes, but the people who were exploring that were the mystics, the spiritual adepts, the monks, the yogis, who were looking at it internally. And I felt yeah. that's the only way to study consciousness is to look inside yourself. As a kid, and, and well, but they say, you know, it's interesting that the spiritual path and and the material path, let's call it, you know, or, or, or let's say physics and maths and, and, mm. and spiritualism, but all of that is coming together more and more, you know, that the so-called mm. woohoo, <laughs> you know, <Woo-woo>. craziness, <laughs> you know, I love that word, <laughs> the woohoo. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, but, but, but both things are, are blending. And yeah. when you bring up theoretical physics and, and it just, you know, the, the double slit experiments and each thing is, is leading more and more yeah. to what the, the, you know, the, the ancient ones, uh, you know, spoke about, mm-hmm. you know, I guess going back as far as the, the, uh, Rig Vedas, right. The, yeah. The Vedas are sort of some Vedas, of the, old, yeah. the oldest written texts we have. Yeah. yeah. And they were, I mean, not so much the Vedas, but the Upanishads, which came after. Oh yeah. Vedanta. Yeah. They were they were the first texts where they really started looking at the nature of consciousness itself, the nature of the self. What do we mean by I? That's where they really started delving into all of that. Thank you for saying that. Cause that's what I meant. So I don't look too foolish. The Vedas were more about rituals and chanting and stuff, and it was like the Upanishads, which sort of came. I think at the end of that Vedic period, they sort of, mm-hmm. they started. That's when they started. Yeah, coming in, and they you know been evolving over many many years but that was sort of the first insight into today what's called non-duality that's where the word first occurs advaita it occurs in the upanishads mm. Mm, don't know that well peter we're a little over an hour i, I could okay. do this forever <laughs> um truly and um yeah um so I hope that you also, you know, enjoy this as well and, and can yes, see we, how it yeah. does all. It definitely fits. Oh, it all um, does. Yes. It, yeah. yeah. Um, everything yes. that we do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, everybody's been able to see, you know, where you've come from, from your original works. Um, they're, they're in the eighties to the, the more spiritual mind as Zach was um, mentioning. Um, and I know your, your mission is to distill, you know, the essential wisdom, you know, on human mm-hmm. consciousness, right. That's found in the world, yeah. various spiritual traditions, um, and to disseminate, you know, the teachings on self-liberation in contemporary and compelling ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, people, I did not come up with that, you know, on, on my own <laughs> to tell us it's way too eloquent. 
maybe uh, just come up with on my own. Uh, but I did want to mention, um, so to, to go over, uh, you know, Peter's other work. So, he, you know, he's got 12 other books, um, including yes. Waking Up in Time, um, From Science to God, uh, the most recent Letting Go of Nothing, Relax Your Mind and Discover the Wonder of Your True Nature. Um, Peter, why don't you let uh, our listeners know where they can uh, get your, your books uh, and your works, um, uh, your, your website. Right. Um, and how they might be able to get in touch with you if right. they have any questions. Well, um, all my books are published by publishers on my own, a few of them by my own publishing company, but they're all available, you know, bookstores. Books. Um, yeah, ob- right. the obviously, you know, obviously the online ones, and I won't mention any particular names, but the on- the online ones, pretty guaranteed. Or, you know, if you have a local bookstore, I always, you know, encourage you to buy from them, support them. So, yes, my books should be easily available or orderable. The best place for me where everything is is my website, which is basically my name, peterrussell.com. But do put two L's on the end. It's not the French Russell, which has one L. It's the English Russell, which is two. <laughs> Otherwise, you end up in some typo squatters who's trying to make money out of yeah. my name. But, <laughs> but Peter, PeterRussell.com, and there you can have access to all my you know, writings. Several of my books are up there, the full text, lots of audios, lots and it's about four, 400 pages now of writings, audio recordings, videos. And I've got a YouTube, I've got, I don't know, probably about 100 There's videos up on channel, YouTube. Right? Yeah. yeah I was just going to say that we want to we definitely want people yeah. to, to buy yeah. the books, but definitely also check out the videos on, on YouTube and, and yeah. find Peter's channel because it, it's fantastic. It really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and going back, uh, you know, one last thing uh, to mention, uh, you know, just podcasting and, and uh how we had to come, you know, and have the internet to even do what we're doing right now mm-hmm. uh, is amazing. And to come full circle for me, again, for you being so influential on me, mm-hmm. I could have never imagined in a million years that at one day I'd, I'd be interviewing you <laughs> on anything, right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it, it is. So yeah, don't, don't take that lightly. Well, so th- uh, thank you for yeah. thinking of me and approaching me. Really appreciate that. And I hope I had some small influence on you in uh, wanting to possibly, you know, continue discussing things of the nature of the white hole in time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. I know no, it wasn't. It's, but... it's something, as I say, I'm thinking about a sequel to it. So my mind has been engaged in that as well yeah. recently, revisiting some of the ideas. That's cool. That yeah. was the coolest thing I've, I've heard in a long time. So I will, I will definitely be, yeah, yeah, purchasing that when it comes out. Um, yeah, so thanks again, Peter. Um, thank you. Thank Jack, you. do you have anything else? That oh, was great having you on. I really enjoyed it. So thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, thank you both. Thank you. Yeah, this has been a huge, huge highlight for me. Thank you again, Peter. Okay. All right. So let me know when it's out. Yeah, will do. Yeah. Um, yeah, and thanks, uh, everybody for listening. And I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as, uh, as we did. And, uh, that's it. Look for the, uh, next episode. Um, It should come out, you know, in the following week. Everybody have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye.